0: Chris Chang and Phillips.
1: I'm Trevor Chaff Fraser.
0: And this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about local history, based in Edmonton, Alberta, or amiskwichi skygon on Treaty Six territory and Region Four, the Métis Nation of Alberta. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and this is a podcast where we talk about becoming a historian. So, uh, Trevor, now that I'm actually doing assignments and writing papers, I thought I'd walk you through some of the like fun classwork stuff I'm getting to do. This is my jam right now is I'm getting to actually go into archives and like touch materials, which I really like.
1: Yeah, physical contact Love it. in a time of pandemic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just books, but still. Books, papers, yep. Um, and uh, I thought this also might be interesting to talk with you and listeners about because for the home historians who are listening, I think it's really u- useful to know what is the difference between a library and an archive and when you might wanna to go to one versus the other. Um, so today I want to share a little bit about some heartbreaking and pretty complicated diary entries that I found at the City of Amazon archives the other day. Um, I'll share a little bit about what it's like getting into libraries and archives right now with, with Omicron, the current variant of (laughs) COVID-19 going through here in January, 2022. Uh, although that might've changed by the time this is published. Oh my God. We're only recording two days before this episode gets published. So (laughs) hopefully it doesn't change that quickly. (laughs) Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about why I think it matters that it's so tough to get access to facilities like this right now. So let's get started with what the difference is between a library and an archive. Trevor, what do you go to libraries for?
1: La bibliothèque. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to go to the library for, for school work, mm-hmm. but now that I'm not in school and I've got a kid, I mostly go to the library to entertain my child mm-hmm. and to get video games because Edmonton has the best library in the world. Uh, you just get video games, man. I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, what kind of video games is she into right now?
1: She? Me. For They're you. For me. They're for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, no, it's true, though. Uh, (laughs) She's really into, like, the Lego video games where you kind of walk around and you're a little Lego character and then you, like, smash up. Just (laughs) You just smash up everything uh, and kind of solve simple puzzles. Mm -hmm. And they're usually branded
0: like Star Wars or Harry Potter or Marvel superheroes. Mm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I've learned a lot from the Lego video games that, um, in a way, if you just keep smashing life enough, you can get some coins from it. <laughs>
1: it's very capitalistic. Yeah. It's like how can I reduce this to its base value?
0: <laughs> um yeah, so that's a great example of libraries are a great place to go for published materials. Video games are something that are produced en masse. Millions of copies out there. Um also a great place to get books, also a published material. So libraries mainly collect what we call secondary sources there are sources that in history research specifically might comment on or collect or look back on primary sources so um if you've read pierre burton's book like the national dream looking back at the history of the making of the railway he's collecting a lot of material together in one book that's something you might find at the library um or like i've got uh, a, a collection here of uh, out north it's a collection of queer history stuff um from all around canada it's, it's collected in one book samples of like posters and pins and whatnot from the last like 40 50 years documentary films too also a nice thing that you might find at a library these don't sound very fun <laughs> they're fun if you're nerdy
1: what about comic book collections comic book collections
0: <laughs> totally yes um if it was if it was published then yeah for sure yeah something you might find at the library i love graphic novels yeah now we're talking uh louis riel by chester brown something Mm -hmm. you could very easily pick up at a uh, a library okay so an archive on the other hand is something that mainly collects things that are records of the moment when they were created so those are the things we call primary sources so it might be like a grocery list or a diary a postcard a letter um, you you might uh, find photographs that were taken from a family photo album in there, um, birth records, marriage certificates, census data, maps, um, oral history interviews. Sometimes, if you're interested in like family genealogy, um, an archive is a great place to go because they'll have those kind of primary records from like when your great great grandpa um, immigrated from wherever. There'll be a the the record of the boat that they traveled on. Hmm. Okay.
1: When I was thinking about archives, I th- I was thinking more. Maybe this is a library, I don't know. But I was thinking more about like, I assume that an organization like the CBC has an archive where Mm -hmm. you can like go back and listen to uh, radio shows from 50 years ago or 20 years ago and listen to like the the raw cuts of of, of interviews and stuff like that. For sure. So So that's like published, but I assume there's like behind the scenes stuff or just
0: those are you're talking about materials that were made in a in a moment they're a record of a moment i think journalism is interesting like, like newspaper articles i think are often considered primary sources um because the, usually it's a reporter reporting in the moment on the radio or whatever about what happened that day delivering that news yeah. um to listeners so that makes sense that like an an a broadcaster might have an archive of their own records of what happened on january fifteenth, nineteen 1976 and these these are like our TV files from that day, our radio files from that day. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I also think about just like um, when I, I used to volunteer at the Quebec Public Interest Research Group. Mm. And so we had, you know, political groups going back decades. And we just had all these, you know, scraps of pamphlets and meeting notes and... <laughs> uh like just just things that you could kind of piece together like oh this was the history of this student group and what they accomplished what they wanted to do and piecing that together just by rifling through the old papers was kind of fun mm-hmm. uh i assume that's an archive
0: yeah um yeah pamphlets are are an interesting thing like i i when we did the episode keep everything um way back in on let's find out. Um, uh, I was trying to decide what to keep and what to like throw away or potentially send to an archive one day from a box of stuff when I had was a kid and an archivist at the provincial archives told me stuff that is produced like in the millions like an old calendar that you find neat or like a like a comic book from the milk guide or whatever they were like yeah we we don't need that. Like, <laughs> there are many, many, many copies of that out there. But I have seen archives collect pamphlets or brochures that an organization might make, like, just a few of. Hmm. Um, like, the uh, very, very first episode that you actually helped me draft, um, the Snow Goose case, uh, like, there was some posters from the Snow Goose Festival in Toe that were really cool. And I found those yeah. in the City of Edmonton archives.
1: Cool, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's, like, stuff that you are so... Niche. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say unimportant, but so niche that, like, you would assume that it's not. Even though it's produced in many numbers, you would assume that most of them got lost, yeah, <laughs> or, or or disposed of. Yeah. so it's cool to have still just a trace of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and there there are some things that where it's it's not quite clear whether they're one or the other two, or whether they belong in libraries and archives and you have joint facilities sometimes. And there's some journalistic material that it's not clear sometimes whether it's like <laughs> primary or secondary. Like if you have a, uh, an opinion writer who's commenting on a bunch of stuff that happened that week and they're reflecting on three or four different news articles that they like have an issue with. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a, a secondary source. Um, films kind of puzzle me too, whether they're primary or secondary, like documentary films of what happened in a moment. Are they primary or secondary? I, I don't I don't feel like I'm I totally have a handle on all of those <laughs> classifications. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's also kind of interesting. I've heard about um, things like uh, like films being like someone finds a box full of film reels mm-hmm. from way way, way back in early Hollywood, and it, like they would have been produced in the millions and sent all over the country, but because of the time they were either disposed of mm-hmm. or, um, or just lost. And so, so something that was mass-produced now is suddenly very rare and valuable. Yeah, I think there's a researcher at the U of A who I think she found all these film reels that were in the Yukon from the, from the 20s because they, they would be circulated from theater to theater across the Americas, and the Yukon was the last stop. <laughs> and so when they got there, they were like, well, I don't know who to send this to, so they would just <laughs> throw it in the box <laughs> in the basement. And so now there's this archive of, like really valuable film reels from early Hollywood
0: that's so cool yeah (laughs) Um, so without trying to muddy the waters too much for listeners just briefly archives collect mostly unpublished primary sources letters photographs government reports and libraries mostly collect published secondary sources which might comment on those primary sources books that video games Mm -hmm. comic books (laughs) so just last week, uh, I got the first chance to go back to the City of Edmonton Archives in a long time. Um, I'm taking an energy history and society class with my supervisor, Lisa Piper. Um, it's a super fun class. We're looking at like a, a very broad definition of energy in Canada's history. Um, like we started with pemmican and whale oil and, and stuff, um, wind, and um, uh, the, the first assignment that we got is like extremely broad. Go look for a primary source on something about energy in the past. When you get an, when you get an
1: assignment that's so broad, like write some, write about a reference to something, mm-hmm. like just a reference to his energy in Canadian history. It's so broad that I feel like for me, it was always like, this could go way off the rails and I wouldn't know it until I handed in. So how do you deal with a really broad assignment like that?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, I I I first just tried to pick the one thing and just chase it as far as I could. The pemmican. Um, also in class, we were talking about like wind powering like s- the sailing industries in Canada. So I tried looking for like um, the Peel's Prairie provinces has some really cool postcards on um, boats and shipping. So I found some cool pictures of like York boats t- traveling with furs um, that had sails. I didn't realize that was part of Canadian fur trading. Um, but the postcards didn't have a lot of information attached. So then I just, honestly, I decided to look for what kind of source would interest me as a researcher, which was correspondence. I love seeing people's like dialogue with themselves and each other in their own handwriting. So I just kind of started with that and asked an archivist for help trying to find an interesting record that might talk about something with energy. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up... Um, uh, chatting with an archivist there, Meredith Plennert, and she guided me towards um, the diaries of a fur trader, Richard Secord, and his wife, Annie York Secord. Um, So there's a diary of his from 1891, and then there's two diaries of hers from uh, 1916 to uh, 1918 is the time period that they span. Um, And she just thought, these are really interesting records. I don't know what you'll find in there exactly for your topic. Um, but you can have a look at them online and then decide if you want to come in and I'm just desperate to like go somewhere because the classes right now are all online. Um, the university is like mostly shut down for physical access and I, I, you know, I just need like to go out of the house sometimes. (laughs) And also I really, I find it super valuable to physically interact with materials and just like feel like I'm getting to know the person who made them through like, touching the paper and seeing, like, where the pen marks were made and, and whatnot. Um, I, I, just, I just feel like there's a lot you can learn from the aesthetic experience itself. So I kind of poked through um, the... Uh, t- two of these diaries were digitized. One of them was transcribed. It seemed like they might be promising, so I asked if I could go in and look at them. And they were they were not really enthusiastic to let me look at them physically because they are <laughs> digitized and they are quite old um and one of them there's this transcription where somebody has typed up a lot of it um but i said like please 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 if you don't mind i would just really like to and i'll be very careful with it i you know been to archives i know i you know i'll wash my hands i'm gonna come in with a pencil you know uh right now the city of edmonton archives you got to call i had to make a booking and a reference archivist will guide you through this process and eventually whew, yeah they said yes which is very nice um, and of course I felt all the complicated Leopold von Ronka things that we've talked about of like, you know, what is your relationship with an archivist? How made it affect how you use the files and who you're trying to make look good or whatnot. And, you know, I've got all this going on in the back of my head, but I'm excited to go and look at the files. So I get in there the other day, uh, the city of Rönke archives, by the way, in case you haven't been, is at the uh, Prince of Wales Armories, which is, um, kind of by the Royal Alex Hospital and Vic, uh, the high school that's uh, on the North side of town. Um, it's, uh, in an actual old... Armory's building, um, and there's like a sub building inside of it where the City of Edmonton Archives is. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of cool. It's a building floating within what looks like a giant hangar with like nice red brick outside. Uh, and you like ring the bell to go inside and then you knock on another door to go inside and you put your bags in the locker and, uh, you have, you can only carry your pencil in. Um, you're not allowed to bring like a, a bag, um, uh, they're, they're really concerned about people making like pen marks accidentally on materials and stuff. So I go in with that on my laptop and, um, I sit down first with Richard Secord's diary from 1891. Um, so I can show you some pictures from it. Okay. So this is what his uh, daily journal looks like. Um, you can see, it's like a, a nice old bound kind of like he, he bought a journal that has some like pages for each day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Um, and, um, It's kind of a mixture of, like, business diary where he's, like, recording transactions. Like, this person came in and requested, like, 79 mink furs today. (laughs) Um, And and this is how much it'll cost. And um, he's, like, keeping track of accounts. But also, 1891 was the year that he was courting and then married Annie York, who became Annie York Seacord. So there's lots of entries in here which were kind of sweet of, like, him meeting her at XYZ place and then taking her for a drive, which I, I took to mean, um, a horse and carriage drive, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't heard that vocabulary used to describe a horse and carriage ride before. <laughs> um, it kind of sweet. Just like seeing the two of them interact through this diary.
1: Just looking at this, it kind of reminds me about how I like, I'll, I'll keep a box full of receipts, you know, and then go through them at kind of the end of the year. And most of them, like some of them are relevant to my taxes, but some of them are just like, Oh, I remember when we went on that date or like, I remember (laughs) we bought this thing at the shop and that was because we went to the movie before that or whatever. Mm. You can kind of piece together memories from commercial transactions too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which, so I don't know. I mean, it must be relevant to him (laughs) because he wrote them down, but maybe you don't get all the resonance from what was important about that commercial transaction to him.
0: I gotta admit, I'm I'm there. I don't feel like I totally understood everything he was writing down because his handwriting is. I mean, it's it's in this like nice but quick um, handwriting in ink. Um, so I spent a long time just like sitting with it to try to get my brain in his handwriting headspace. But if he did have a lot of emotional feelings about the like <laughs> uh, seventy nine minks that he was selling to hislop on January twentieth, eighteen ninety one, um, I didn't I didn't catch that part <laughs> of his diary entry. <laughs> Um. yeah Uh. he also is talking like a lot about the weather uh, it's, it's kind of funny <laughs> just to hear like on January 29th 1891 this guy in Edmonton is saying you know it started to rain it's making the roads quite slippery <laughs>
1: it's like small talk with himself
0: yeah yeah so weird like even on days when he's taking Annie out he's saying like um, uh, you know I, I went out this afternoon with uh, on January 30th um, I went out this afternoon um, with Miss York, and um, we went first to the Presbyterian Church, had a nice drive, rather cold going out, but quite mild coming back. Uh, got back about 7 o'clock. Um, they went to some performance. It was rather lengthy, lasted till 11 o'clock. Uh, his, his, <laughs> his, the, the, his concern with like, making sure he knows what time everything happened and the weather is fascinating to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. But so is this all stuff that you
0: you couldn't get from the digitized version though that kind of information i feel like i i I could have probably gotten from the digitized version it was interesting to see some of the stuff on the sides and the margin was written in red that i mean i probably could have figured out digitized it was a very delicate book for sure um uh I, i think i i was looking mostly for the emotional experience with this one of just wow this is a book that he actually wrote in and you can see where he's writing fast mm. and, and where that, the, like ink is, is moving a little quicker or globier. Um, which was cool to be able to connect. I don't know that there, there was a ton of information in this one that I would have missed if I'd just been looking at the digital version, but I'm glad you asked because Annie York's <laughs> any York's secrets diary, I do feel like there was a lot that I would have missed if I just looked at the online version. Okay, cool. Cool. So, uh, her 1916, um, diary, uh, this one is the one that was transcribed. So somebody had like typed up entries that you can um, see a, like the text of what she had written online. Um, there's actually a lot of stuff that was not accurate <laughs> with the online transcription. I don't know what happened, um, but a lot of the dates were mixed up. Hmm. Um, and also um, some some of uh, the things that she wrote, there's like gaps um, in the online version. And, and there are some things that you just would not catch if you were just looking at the online version, like, um, hang on, I'll find the page where, okay. Um, so I'm just going to turn my laptop on the side here to show you. Uh, so, uh, on, what is this January 29th, 1916, um, she's written coldest day of the year, but then she's crossed out a lot of it. So yeah. it just says cold day <laughs> because below it.
1: Another coldest
0: day. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that very uh, funny to me <laughs> moment of her having the confidence that this was the coldest day she'd have to go through and then realizing the next day it was even colder. <laughs> <laughs> that is not something I would have caught in the transcription, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: So was that, the, with this incorrect transcription, is that like a computer-generated transcription that was wrong, or...?
0: that was a human i don't know which human um i I, I don't have any information on who did the transcription of that um was like an archival assistant or something but just to summarize a little bit about what i found too like it's worth looking through this diary if you ever get a chance um i just read through two months of her um daily journal which feels very intimate to say and very cool that it is in the archives at all but um you know like it's this diary entry starts in january which you know is the end of the christmas break for um one of her sons who's home for the holidays um richard um and she writes about um spending time with him at home um they're spending time in the kitchen making fruitcake together Mm. um it's 1916 so she's writing a lot of entries about the war what's happening in europe she's um making notes about like people that she and her husband know that are currently in the military in Europe um and she writes about this one just heartbreaking day to me um at the end of uh her son's Christmas break so this is January 11th um she writes about this time Richard while walking down the street with me made the remark that well mother I should like to get into khaki before I were compelled he is in his 15th year cocky i understand to mean like he wants to get into uniform yeah um, yeah. and he's talking about wanting to sign up for the military before he's conscripted and just seeing like she sounds heartbroken that he's 15 years old and is warming up to to go away to war um and she's like packing him on the train to go away to boarding school again and this is like you know maybe one of the last christmas breaks that he'll be home with her um Mm -hmm. it was pretty emotional to get to read that in her own hand
1: yeah I mean, I wonder if she's worried that maybe he'll join, you know, secretly before. Because I've I've heard about people joining before they're of age.
0: Yep. Forging records and stuff. Yeah, which must be terrifying as a parent. (laughs) Yeah, which that terror maybe maybe explains some of the other stuff that I found more troubling in her records. Of, like, she's going to uh, a, a tea to raise money for the soldiers club in town. The tea is being hosted um, by the Imperial Order of the Daughters of the Empire, <laughs> okay. which is the organization, if you'll remember, like um, our episode, maybe the Klein Query episode we were talking about, um, this Imperial Order of the Daughters of the Empire was the organization that went around with a petition asking the Canadian government to ban black people from immigrating to Canada from Oklahoma. Hmm. So, Annie York City Court is going to a tea fundraiser for this organization. It's kind of messed up. Um, and also the same companion that she's gone to this tea with. She writes on February 15th. Um, Mrs. Haight, Isabel and I went to empire theater to see birth of a nation. Very fine. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is the famous um, Ku Klux Klan propaganda film that uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty troubling to read all this stuff. And the archivist that was there that day, I, I think he said something that I feel similarly about, which is, don't go into an archive looking for a hero Mm
1: -hmm.
0: where you know we are complicated people and i think it's it's useful to both like empathize with people as as human beings and also um see that you know uh we're not perfect we got some we got we got the good and the and the bad kind of i mean
1: Speaking of that, can you just remind me what was the purpose of reading all these secret, (laughs) these personal (laughs) details of these two people's lives?
0: Ostensibly, I was there to look for an energy um, reference from Canada's past. So I thought about it, and the energy connection that I sort of saw was like, in 1891, Richard's talking about taking Annie for drives in in a horse carriage. Um, By 1916, she's describing them having two cars, a little car and a big car at home Mm -hmm. and um i I think it's interesting that even by 1916 this like very early days of, of automobiles coming into people's lives some of the rituals and meaning of like rites of passage you can already see are in um their lives in that okay so this is january uh 13th 1916 um so richard her son richard and crawford turnbull are leaving this am by gtp grand trunk pacific railway Mm -hmm. for saint andrew's college after spending christmas holidays at home we enjoyed richard very much more than usual (laughs) he was very glad to be home with us after being with boys for so long he took mother for drives in the little car of which he was very proud Hmm. and i think that 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 ritual of being like 15 and taking your mom for a drive for the first time i'm like huh that's interesting that that was there that early the other thing that i thought maybe spoke to me about like changing energy in Edmonton's past is the fact that he took the railway home maybe meant that at this moment when she's really worried about her son going away to war and how much time she has left with him, maybe it meant that she got an extra couple hours or an extra day with him by the the fact that he took the railway back to school instead of going by horse and carriage. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So that's me in the archives lately <laughs> <laughs> let's find out it's brought to you in part by boys and girls clubs and big brothers big sisters Edmonton area did you know you have a superpower nope we're not talking about flying or reading minds although well, those would be pretty cool to have you have the incredible ability to help young people see their own superpowers Boys and Girls Clubs and Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton area, also called BGC Bigs, needs you now. Consider sharing your time with a young person. Over the past year, BGC Bigs heard from young people that having a mentor means they're less likely to feel anxiety, feel isolation, or struggle with their mental health. But there are over 600 young people waiting for a mentor in their lives today. So explore how you can get involved and watch our community change one life at a time. There's currently a need for mentors in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters or Big Siblings program, in school, for the Youth in Care program, and for the new PRISM program supporting queer young people. There's also a need for virtual tutors who can support young people as they transition back to school and they're dealing with learning loss over the past two years. So join BGC Biggs for virtual coffee, or apply now at bgcbigs.ca, or Google BGC Biggs Edmonton. Your priority, their future. Let's Find Out is also brought to you by the Edmonton Public School Board. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house, ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs, and find the one that feels right, all from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates, and learn how to make the most out
1: of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before
0: you go, and feel confident and excited when you get there.
1: It sounds like you've, you, is really lucky that you got into the archive. You, you got the, the juicy details on, on these two people's lives. Um, but it, it sounds like it was a challenge, uh, to get in, even to an archive that's already kind of restricted. Mm-hmm. Now there's, now it's even harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a, I think this is a problem. Um, do right now, uh, you know, uh, because of Omicron, most things are shut down and like, like for people who don't already know this process, it can be kind of impenetrable. To figure out like how do I get in? How do I use materials? Archives are generally harder to get into and have more restrictions. Like a lot of them, like the Bruce Peel Special Collections at the UVA, very cool collection, but you've always had to call ahead, know what materials you're looking for, and like the door is locked unless you're like there for an appointment. You you can't just wander in off the street, which is it's it's tough. I, I think it's a barrier for researchers who who might not know these processes to begin with, and then. For the U of A right now, to, to to get access to library materials right now, if you're a U of A student or faculty member, you can make a hold for a book You if you know exactly what you're looking for. You can go through the catalog, you can request it, and then you have to go to one library. It's called Cameron. It's like their science and technology focused library on the main campus, and you can um, swipe your one card. Trying to get in. Yeah. You guys have one card? Yeah. Okay, so I wasn't working on the, uh... Um, you get in and then you can grab your hold and then check it out yourself. And leave. Or you can study on the very first floor if you are someone with a one core. But this is not the only community of people who uses the U of A library collection. I mean, this mm-hmm. is frustrating for me, for sure. i like... I'm uh, I I think like a like reasonably skilled researcher, but sometimes I need materials at like the last minute, Um, and I find it difficult as a student to have to plan like four or five days ahead right now for a librarian to pull a book for me from a shelf instead of me being able to go in there. Um, I also think that it's a problem for the U of A's like ostensible partial mission to serve the community. This idea of like uplifting the whole people is part of how the U of A talks about itself, right? And like, before I, before I was a U of A student as a, like a researcher for Let's Find Out as a historian laureate, writing for the CBC history articles I wrote in 2017, like sometimes I'd, I would have to do a lot of research very quickly using secondary sources, going to a library, getting books that are like giving me a, a big survey of a topic, um, giving me background research, context for um, a, a subject. And if you're a community researcher, like in normal times, you can just use your Edmonton Public Library card that's free to get you into all these post-secondary libraries like the U of A in Alberta. Um, they're part of the NEOS Consortium. Um, but if right now, if you don't have a one card, you can't get in. Mm. Um, and like I can think of specific examples from Edmonton's history where the U of A library collection has been critical for very important and influential people in our past, like Robert Simonet, who we talked about on the Capilano Apricots episode. Um, this guy who... Uh, is a, a very famous plant breeder in edmonton um he bred like lilies and roses that were like not only beautiful but specially tuned to edmonton's climate um he famously developed a form of, of double flowering petunia <laughs> he had like uh, in catherine chase Merritt's book why grow here she talks about how um he had seen them at markets every once in a while being imported from japan and he was like whoa how does that happen like these petunias with twice as many petals as they should have and He, um, so he didn't have a lot of formal education. He worked as a boiler stoker at the Misericordia Hospital slash gardener. Um, and he borrowed books from the U of A and the EPL, and he taught himself plant genetics. Mm -hmm. And he taught himself how to do the type of plant breeding that would like get him towards the road where he might be able to find double flowering petunias by 1937, he was able to to like start commercializing them 1939 right world war ii conflict with japan breaks out suddenly trade with japan stops and th- this guy who'd been working on this genetics thing suddenly becomes like the center of this like tiny industry of double flowering petunias because he's the only way you can get them in north america now hmm. um that would not have been possible without him having access to a high quality research library like the u of a probably
1: yeah yeah i mean we've, with the pandemic we've heard a lot about um what this interruption and in children's schooling could mean for their long term you know uh development but um I haven't heard a lot about what it means for universities and, and research programs and if 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 we're gonna have like an innovation gap <laughs> you know moving forward because of libraries being shut down
0: I think it's that's kind, a good of, way to kind of scary about. to think about <laughs> and I don't understand why the u of a has like shut down this access to the libraries because they've they've developed like a kiosk that you can go to you can check out your own book without talking to or touching another person or getting within 20 feet of them and they also have an app you can get on your phone and just check out your book yourself i don't know how many days i went in last semester and just checked out a book myself on my phone um it, it doesn't make any sense to me uh, even from a safety perspective
1: yeah no that sounds super frustrating that would definitely uh stop me like my 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 limited schooling i definitely relied a lot on being able to just browse the stacks and like to to start with one book but then look further down the shelf and realize oh like maybe i should be more into this and you can kind of work your way through the stacks and and in a way that you can't just on a card catalog or online catalog yep um that said i i don't. my partner did her phd Mm-hmm. as a literary literary historian. And so um, I do remember she spent a lot of time in different archives, and she, one of them was Libraries and Archives Canada. This is in Ottawa? In Ottawa, yeah. Uh, we live in Edmonton, and so <laughs> she came to the U of A to do this science fiction Canadian science fiction project, and then once she was here, she realized there's like three archives <laughs> – one of them's in Calgary, so <laughs> you know she missed she missed going to the right school there. But one of them's in Calgary, one of them's in Toronto at the Toronto Public Library, mm-hmm. interestingly, mm-hmm. and then Library and Archives Canada in Ottawa, and so she had to make trips to go to all of them because uh, Toronto and Ottawa they don't have any digital digitization services or or anything like that. Calgary would digitize things, but. <laughs> just right down the road so um but yeah i remember library and archives canada sounded especially frustrating because of kind of what you're talking about like she had to fill out these forms ahead of time mm-hmm. to request the materials to be there for certain dates and she had to coordinate that with her travel plans because um, she's going on, you know all the way from edmonton and um She ended up going three times. Uh The first time she went, she had three days. And there's like a, it's a huge complex. She goes in, she finds like the room where like they have shelves with all the materials people requested. She goes to her shelf expecting like a box. There's one single book on the shelf. (laughs) She's like, I think I requested more. And she went looking for help and they're like, oh, it must not have come it must not have come from, like, the storage oh my God. yet. Uh, and so she, like, was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'll come back tomorrow. She came back the next day, still not there. She came back the third day. Uh, new staff members, she's like, oh, well, you need this room. There's, like, like <laughs> oh, you went to the room for, like, requests, but you need to go to the room for, like, super, super restricted requests. Like... <laughs> what? <laughs> where they keep the behind you know sealed environment and stuff um so so she goes there and there's a whole trolley with boxes and boxes of books that had all been like pulled out for her oh my god and she only had that day (laughs) so she (laughs) so she had to go back another time it's a whole other trip to ottawa um and that time she's like okay i got this i go to the special collection room It's, it's gonna be there it's a big trolley it's not there She, like, put the request in. They just didn't bring it. Oh, my God. So, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, like, it was just a bureaucratic mix-up. But that can, like, throw off the whole research project. Mm -hmm. And and so she ended up going back a third time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And the third time, it was... She by that time she'd gone to Calgary and realized like exactly what items were there versus Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out there was just one issue of this one magazine that she needed to see <laughs> and Ottawa would not digitize it. And so she had to go all the way just to like read this one magazine. Wow. Um, wow. But yeah, like to me, I was like, okay, you have to request things ahead of time that would, I personally, I wouldn't be able to get past that. <laughs> you know? And then to have to get over like all those hoops um, and going back and forth, I just, I would not be able to do archival
0: research. It's frustrating right now. <laughs>
1: well, good on you for uh, sticking to it and getting into those archives and continuing your research in these,
0: you know, trying times. Thanks. Yeah. My next stage uh, actually of my thesis research will hopefully take me to the uh, White Museum Library and Archives in uh, the, in Banff and then uh, to the a Nation Council Archives, fingers crossed, in Cranbrook, BC. So future updates on that on the podcast. Awesome. And thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. We read all your messages, even if we don't always have a chance to get back. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. or on Instagram and Facebook too. Thanks to Dylan Bremner, Mary Beth Plennert, and Tim O'Grady at the City of Empton Archives for their research help this episode. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the wonderful Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming.